0: Acts chapter 7 tonight. Acts chapter 7. We're going to be looking at the message of Stephen and the murder of Stephen tonight. It's one of the longest chapters in, actually, the New Testament, but especially in the book of Acts. But before we do, I want to share a story with you. There was a laborer who worked at this company for many years, and he would pass through security every day on his way to and from work. They obviously were checking to see who was bringing things in and who was bringing things out. And one day this man approached a security guard and he had, was doing something he had never done before. He was pushing a wheelbarrow with a box on it. And the security guard stopped him and said, well, what's in the box, sir? And he said, it's just a bunch of sawdust that we swept up back there, and I put in the box, and I'm taking it home. And so the security guard looked in the box, and sure enough, it was sawdust. So he let him pass. Second day, the work day's over, and security guard looks up, and here comes this man again, pushing a wheelbarrow. With a box. And the security guard says, I need to stop and look in the box. What's in the box? And the man said, nothing but sawdust in the box. Go ahead and take a look. So the security guard looks and says, okay, go ahead, you can pass. Third day, fourth day, same thing. Here comes this man with the wheelbarrow, box on it. Security guard says, you got something in that box. The guy says, I got nothing in the box except sawdust. Look. Security guard looks, and sure enough, third and fourth day, nothing but sawdust. This continues. Sixth day, seventh day. Finally, on the seventh day, he sees the man approaching. And once the man gets there, he says, I, I just have to tell you, sir, he says, there's something going on here. There's just something that just isn't right. I'm just not settled in my spirit. Something's fishy here. I need you to own up to what's going on here. And finally the man looked up at him and says, okay. He says, you got me. He said, I've been stealing wheelbarrows. Now, the reason I share that story is because it reminds us that it's all about perspective. Many times, even as followers of Jesus Christ, we're locked in on the box filled with sawdust and we miss the wheelbarrow. We miss the bigger picture. We may miss what God is doing because we're not looking in the right place or our perspective is off. And there is no chapter in the Bible that magnifies the importance of perspective like this chapter. And what I'd like you to do for a little homework, though I don't technically give you homework, is I'd like you to allow this chapter to just sort of settle into your mind and your heart and think about what are the different ways that perspective and having the right perspective, God's perspective, plays into what is happening here. Well, before we get to the murder of Stephen, which just covers the last few verses of the chapter, I do want to go back to the beginning of the chapter where Stephen gives a message. As you recall from last week, Stephen was accused by the religious leaders of Israel of speaking against the temple and against the law. That's What they say in verse 13 of chapter 6. Accusations that this man, Stephen, does not stop saying things against this holy place and the law. So in chapter 7, verse 1, we pick it up. Then the high priest said, are these things true? And Stephen replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our forefather Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he settled in Iran. And basically starting at this point, I'm not going to take the time to go through the entire sermon, Stephen starts with Abraham, then goes to Joseph, then goes to Moses, and then finally ends up with David and Solomon and basically shares with them the entire history, if you will, in a succinct form of Israel's history with God. And what we learn in this sermon is two things about Stephen. We learn in his message, first of all, that Stephen understood the mind of God. I mean, here's a young man that obviously had saturated his mind with the Old Testament scriptures. Here's a young man that knew his Old Testament. He meditated on the word day and night, like David says in Psalm 119. He loved the the Word of God, and he filled his mind with it. Otherwise, there is no way he could extemporaneously just start from Abraham and go through Abraham and all the details there and then go to Joseph and then go to Moses and all the details of Moses' life and then end up with David and Solomon unless he knew it. He knew it. He knew the mind of God. And the Bible tells us that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And David certainly did that. And it is a challenge to us that God wants us to know his mind and to know the Word of God. And and, and so all of us are challenged to be like Stephen and make sure that we are meditating on the Word and reading the Word and studying the Word and hiding it in our heart and all of these things. But more important than Stephen knowing the mind of God, this message reveals to us that Stephen knew the heart of God. And why that is so important is for this reason. Stephen is basically accusing the religious leaders of Israel of knowing the Old Testament in their head, but missing the point of it all. They knew the mind of God, if you will. They had filled their mind with the Old Testament scriptures, but they totally missed the heart of God in it all. They totally missed the intent of it. And, and here's something that caused pause in me. It's like, I need to be careful. We all need to be careful that as we fill our minds with the mind of God and his revelation, that we make sure that we go the next step and that we truly are trying to understand the heart of God and his intent on why he shared the things that he did. Otherwise, folks, we could could miss what God intends a mile or more and be way off, just like the religious leaders of Israel. say, well, how were they off? Well, we're going to see here, and I'm just going to go down through this quickly. First of all, they tried to put God in a geographical box. That's why there was so much emphasis on Jerusalem and on the temple. And listen, I know the Bible talks about how precious Jerusalem is to God. I'm I'm not discounting that. But it was almost like to the religious leaders of Israel it had become that Jerusalem was the only place God could work and the temple was the only place God could work and God couldn't work outside of this box. And, And Stephen is trying to say, You might know your Old Testament scriptures, but you have totally missed the heart of God because notice what he does. He goes back through the Old Testament and by the very Old Testament scriptures that they claim that they know, he's reminding them, you've missed something really important. So follow along with me. First of all, in chapter 7, verse 2, notice he tells them, did not God, the God of glory, appear to Abraham when he was where? In Mesopotamia. Not in Jerusalem, not in the Holy Land, not in the temple, but while Abraham was in this other land way far away, God was working there. Then he takes you over to Joseph and look in verse 9. He says, The patriarchs, because they were jealous of Joseph, sold him where? Into Egypt. But God was with him. Egypt, not Jerusalem, not Israel, not the temple, Egypt, God was working as much in Egypt as he was there. In fact, we know that as he continues and starts to transition into Moses, obviously, God was working in Egypt through Moses. And then even when Moses fled, before God called him to deliver, verse 29 of chapter 7, notice, Moses fled and became a foreigner in the land of Midian. Guess what? God appeared to Moses in Midian and was working in Midian. Then, after 40 years, verse 30, an angel appeared to him where? In a desert of Mount Sinai. Over and over again, Stephen's saying, you want to put God in this little box and say, God can't work outside of this and, and it has to be in the temple and it has to be in Jerusalem. Don't you know... You know it in your head. You know them, but you've missed the heart of God. He always was working all over the place because God is not restricted to just one place like you all want him to be so that everyone has to look to you rather than to look to God. Well, he ends this sort of in chapter 7, verse 36 when when he's talking about Moses. He said, oh, by the way, Moses let him out. He performed wonders and miraculous signs. And again, where did he do that? In the land of Egypt, oh, and at the Red Sea, oh, and in the wilderness, God was with them too. So over and over and over again in this tremendous sermon of Stephen, Stephen is pointing out to them You know the mind of God because you have the word of God, the Old Testament scriptures up here in your head, but you've totally missed the heart of God. You missed something very important. You now have restricted him to this area, and you you have failed to realize that all of your scriptures that you say you know, you've missed God's heart and intent on it all. A very important point. Well, something else that they accused Stephen of was not only in a sense, speaking against the temple, but somehow undermining the law. And I love what Stephen says in verse 53. He says, you received the law by decrees given by angels, but you didn't obey it. (laughs) You had the law, but you didn't follow it. And as if you go down and read the sermon of Stephen here at the beginning of chapter 7, he even tells them when he got to Moses, he said, oh, what about our ancestors? Our ancestors didn't even want to follow Moses. They rejected him as God's appointed leader. What's that tell you? So you can say, well, we've got the law or we've got God's commands, but you never followed God's people that he had appointed as your leader. And even if he did give you the law, you never followed it because you couldn't follow it anyway because God didn't give you the law so that you could think you could live up to it or follow it, but to show us how far short we are from trying to somehow attain to God through law. God never meant the law to be used as somehow a, a way to have a relationship with him. It was to show us how sinful and depraved and far away from God we are. And then he goes on in the story of Moses and says, even while Moses was up there getting the law, what was God's people doing? They were creating an idol, a calf, and Aaron was on board, and everybody was all like, and and he's going, really, guys? You're talking to me about somehow undermining the law of God and disregarding it? I'm trying to follow the law of God, but you have missed God's heart in this whole thing. You have missed his intent, just as people do today when they take the law, in a sense, the commands of God, and somehow think that I can attain to God by living up to it. That's not why God gave them. They know the mind of God, but they're missing the heart and intent of why God gave it. That's why it's so important, folks that you and I have a personal relationship and ongoing fellowship with God because we can get to a place, even like the religious leaders of Israel, where we can fill our minds and have intellectual and analytical understanding of God's mind, if you will, but totally miss his heart and be way off. And the way you and I understand the heart of God Is guess what by spending time with God personally isn't that how we get to know the heart of anybody by spending time with them and really hearing them and listening to them and that's what Stephen had done even in his young life what a tremendous sermon and by the way this is a challenge to every preacher and every pastor of how to preach if you will because I mean he just uses the scriptures He doesn't embellish it with anything. He just goes back to Abraham and just starts laying it out from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament prophets, all the way up through David and Solomon and just teaches the word of God. That's all he did. But when you get to verse 48, notice he reminds them again, You want to put God in a box, yet the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. And then he quotes Isaiah, where God said to the prophet and through the prophet Isaiah, heaven is my throne, the earth is a footstool for my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is my resting place? Did not my hand make all these things? And then it gets really sticky. Because then in verse 51, Stephen says, you stubborn people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, You are always resisting the Holy Spirit like your ancestors did. Oh, my. And that's really the crux of it all. The Holy Spirit was trying to reach these folks and work on them, and they were constantly throwing up a wall at the moving and leading and guiding and direction of the Holy Spirit, constantly putting up roadblocks in what the Holy Spirit wanted to do. And when you and I think about the book of Acts being Christ's vision for his church, here's a biggie. Don't resist the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Let the Holy Spirit be in charge. Let him lead. Let him guide. We follow him, not try to make him follow us. And when he's moving and when he's working, let's not resist Let's give in, if you will, to God, and let's follow the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit wants to take us. It may not be where we want to go any more than, you know, might not be a preferred thing. For instance, think about it. I believe the Holy Spirit was leading the words of Stephen right here, but he was getting ready to take Stephen down a, I know this is a terrible pun, a rocky road. So that's the message of Stephen. A man who knew the mind of God, but also a man who more importantly knew the heart of God. But let's look at the murder of Stephen. I want to share three things with you tonight about his murder. First of all, I want you and I to see the distinctiveness of a God-filled person. Then I want us to see the declarations of a God-filled person, and finally the death of a God-filled person. Let's look at the distinctiveness of a God-filled person or the difference that God makes in our life. And I want you to notice the comparison and contrast here between this mob, if you will, and that's really the only way to describe them, and Stephen. Verse 54... When they heard these things, they became furious and ground their teeth at him. They were filled with anger and resentment and bitterness. They were a mob. They were seething. But notice the next two words in verse 55. But Stephen... Who was full. And the reason I say full of God is because over and over again in chapter 6 and chapter 7, what's it say about Stephen? He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of God. Here was a man who was full of God, which, by the way, is again a challenge to all of us and an example to us that in order to be filled with God, that means we've got to be empty of ourselves and emptied of all the things that the world tries to pour into our life and let God fill us up. And God wants to fill us and make us full in him. And that was Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. But he was so different from those around him. Listen, when you and I allow God to fill us up, we will be distinct and different from other people around us. Make no mistake about it. You will stand out. In fact, Stephen not only stood out from the religious leaders of Israel and and from those that were opposing him, we saw last week Stephen even stood out from other Christians, because how many others were full of God? Not too many. Not too many. You know, it might be a quarter full or half full or three-quarters full, but full. And the more full of God you and I get, the more different and distinct from others we will be. And they will not understand They will not share our perspective on things. They they will not see things like we see them because notice something about a God-filled man here and how different he is. He can see things that others, or she can see things that others can't see. Because notice Stephen was looking intently toward heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and says... Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And we're going to talk about the declarations of a godly man, so I'll get back to that. But notice something. Here, even in this moment, Stephen was looking intently toward heaven. He was so different. I mean, I think he knew what was about to happen. And instead of sitting there going, oh, God, why are you allowing this to happen to me or running away or whatever, he was just riveted on the things above. And I could not help but think of these verses in Colossians. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but if you want to mark these verses, because they're, they're, I think, very good verses. But listen to these verses out of the book of Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, verse 1, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Keep thinking about things above, not things on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Wow. That was Stephen. He was looking intently at heaven because That was his focus of his life because he was filled with God. He wasn't thinking about earthly things. He was thinking about eternal things. He was thinking about heaven. He was thinking about God, and his thoughts were not preoccupied about earthly, worldly, temporal, physical, material things. He had left those go. There was nothing the world could offer him any longer, more than what God had already given him by filling him up. What a difference God makes in our life. And I will say it again, the more you and I allow God to fill us, the more different we will be from those around us. And some, like Stephen, are going to be okay with it, even if they have to stand alone. Others, it's hard, and it is. I admit, there's been times I feel like I've been alone, and there's times I do feel like I'm alone. It's not easy. But just as we even sung about tonight, God's grace is enough. (laughs) God's grace is sufficient. And and even if we don't have anyone else in those moments, God will give us the grace. Now, it's it's great to have at least somebody else standing with us. But sometimes we don't have anybody. And Stephen didn't have anybody. Nobody was running there going, Wait a minute, Stephen, I'm going to join you. There's no mention of anybody else stepping up at this point and challenging the religious leaders of Israel except Stephen. So we see here in these first few verses when we talk about the murder of Stephen, first of all, the distinctiveness of a God-filled person. You will be different. Think about this even in the context of our church. How different will our church be if our church is filled with God-filled people? That means we're gonna be a different kind of church, too. We're not gonna be just like every other church. Are we okay with that? Is God filling us enough? Or are we gonna start looking around going, well, you know, they think we're crazy or they don't like us or, you know, just saying. Second, look at the declarations of a God filled person. Again, in verse 56. Stephen is able to see things that others cannot at the moment see. He sees heaven open. First of all, that means heaven's real and it's open for Stephen. He sees it. Not only that, he sees the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, standing up there in heaven. So Jesus Christ isn't dead like the religious leaders thought so when they put him to death in you know, collusion with the Roman authorities. No, Jesus is very much alive, and he's standing, and Stephen can see him. And it's very interesting to me, too, that this is a reference here in the New Testament to Jesus standing, because most of the time, even after he ascended, the references in the New Testament are to Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. Here you see Jesus standing as if what is happening to even One of his followers, Stephen, has caught his attention, and he's not missing it, and he's standing up, very much interested, and I think very much standing up to show his support of Stephen, even in that moment. Folks, listen to me. And again, we've sung about this tonight, even in the songs that we sang. Stephen is going to experience one of the most horrific deaths a human being can experience. And what I want you and I to grasp here tonight, even in the midst of all of this, is that if God can so show up at this time in Stephen's life, then there's probably not anything that you and I are going to have to go through as near as horrific as Stephen did, even in dying, that should encourage us that if God allowed Stephen to deal with this with such calm and composure and faith and all of that, then God can allow me to go through so many things in my life, and if I just look up to him and I allow him to fill me, it's going to make everything look different and feel different because I truly believe, folks, that with God's children... That no matter what we think humanly about, oh my goodness, they're they're having this terrible disease and they're in so much pain, And, and how can God allow one of his children to go through such a time of extended and prolonged suffering and all this, I'm telling you that God shows up and ministers to his children in ways, even in the most horrific times, that can bring comfort and solace and all of that to them in a supernatural way that you and I cannot comprehend nor can we see, but we must trust God in those moments just as Stephen is trusting God in this moment. He's getting ready to be pelted to death with stones. And yet, you don't see him freaking out about it. You don't hear him crying, I've made a mistake. (laughs) Or why me, God? Why are you allowing me, such a young man, to die such an early death? There's none of that. Because here's a man who's filled up with God and who has his mind and his heart on things above, not things on the earth. So he sees the heavens open and the Son of Man day, but that doesn't end there. Notice his next declaration, verse 59. Stephen is praying, and he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. It is a reminder to us that when we die, our spirit immediately goes to be with who? With Jesus. He actually is the one that receives us. And in heaven, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And Stephen is making that declaration of faith. By the way, as we're going to see also in his next declaration in verse 60, the thing I love about Stephen here is isn't he following the example of his own Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who basically said the same things from the cross, and that's why I personally believe that Stephen was there at the crucifixion and actually heard the words of his Savior, Jesus Christ, when Jesus said, Lord, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then earlier on he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Stephen pretty much models the same words because notice in verse 60, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Very similar to what Jesus said because that's the declarations of a God-filled person. That what comes out of our mouth is what is in our heart and what has been placed in our heart is what we've been given through our relationship and fellowship with Jesus Christ. We are being made like Jesus. We are being conformed to his image. So our actions are his actions and our words become his words, or I should say it the other way, his words have now become our words. What we speak is what he spoke. What we do is what he is doing. And that's what we see here with Stephen. He's giving testimony to the reality of heaven. He's giving testimony to Jesus being alive. He's given testimony to even the fact of, instead of saying again at, at this moment, horrific moment in his life, he's saying, Lord, don't, don't hold that sin against them. So we've seen the distinctiveness of a God-filled person, and we've seen the declarations of a God-filled person, notice how beautiful the death of a God-filled person is. In a moment when, notice, in verse 58, or excuse me, in verse 59, they continued to stone Stephen. Now, I don't encourage you to do this, but just like I've done with the crucifixion, I've actually read historical accounts of actual stonings. And I say that only because if you read the actual accounts of people who've been stoned to death or those that were... It's terrible. I mean, this young man would have had bones broken. He would have been bleeding profusely all over his body. His skull probably would have been hit several times and cracked open and bleeding... He probably would have gotten to a point where he could no longer stand up and would have slumped down and maybe even fall to his knees. All this is happening to him, and what's his words? Lord, don't lay this sin to your charge. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, no, I'm not kidding you. Those are the declarations of a God-filled person. That's what being filled with God can do even in the most horrific times that we go through, it totally changes everything. Perspective. And then Luke records the death of this God-filled person simply by saying these beautiful words at the end of chapter 7. After he said this, he died. Literally, he fell asleep. Wow, what a beautiful picture. You're thinking, fell asleep? Really? Really? He's probably in such terrible pain through all the stones that have been thrown at him, skulls cracked, bleeding all over the place, in a heap on the ground somewhere. And the Bible just simply says, here's how he died. He just fell asleep. And what it, again, reminds us of is that God shows up in such supernatural, miraculous ways with his children, stands up for them when we stand up for him, And and, and in some way that you and I, again, cannot understand, we would look at the death of Stephen and go, oh my goodness, God, how could you allow that to happen when God is trying to show us through his death that even one of his followers, who could suffer such a horrific death, could could stay so calm and composed and clear-headed and have such clarity and courage and all of that at that time. Why? Because God can even override and overcome the most horrific of earthly circumstances that you and I go through. And if God can show up when someone is stoned to death, then God can show up for us for everything less than that. And I don't know about you, but I don't think any of us here in this room probably will ever be stoned to death. And yes, we may go through a horrific death for the glory of God, but take heart. If God chooses for you and I to walk that road, then even David said, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I will not fear evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And if it's God's will that we go through something like that, God's presence and power will be with us and will transform the horror of that thing to something beautiful that he can use for his glory, because I'll leave you with this. In the death of Stephen, something that Stephen didn't even realize. God answered that prayer. When Stephen said, Lord, do not lay this sin to hold this against them, notice something very interesting we find out in verse 58, that when they had driven him out of the city, they began to stone him, and the witnesses laid their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. And then it says in the beginning of chapter 8, Saul agreed completely with killing him. You see, I think that day, even though Saul was still hard-hearted and still going after the church and still perfectly agreeable to see this young man die a horrific death, I think God began to plant some seeds in Saul's heart that day. And I think just like it was with the Roman centurion who viewed how Jesus died and said, surely that man's got to be the son of God. The things I heard come out of his mouth, the way he died such a horrific death... There's something different about him. I feel that Saul probably thought the same thing, that even in his death, Stephen gave such a powerful testimony to the reality of God in his life that somehow God was starting to to chisel through that hard-hearted Saul and get to him. And God certainly answered that prayer because how powerfully did God use Saul one day? And God probably said to Stephen, Stephen, I won't. Hold that against Saul. I'll allow Saul to become Paul and be one of the greatest Christians who's ever lived, one of the greatest messengers and missionaries the world has ever had. I'll answer that prayer, Stephen. Wow. You see, you and I will impact people not only by our death, in the way we die and all of that, but we will certainly impact people in the way we live. And one of the things we learn here in Acts chapter 7 is that when you and I are filled with God, what a difference God makes in our life and how it can be used by God to touch and reach into the hearts of those around us. This great message of Stephen reveals that here was a man who knew the mind of God, but more importantly knew the heart of God. And so I think the challenge for us is let's make sure we not only know his mind, but that we get to know the heart of God, that we don't miss what God really intends in his word. And then let's also take into account that this man, Stephen, was so different from so many people around him. Why? Because he was full of God. And because of that, he saw things that others couldn't see. And the things that came out of his mouth were things that Jesus Christ had planted in his heart. Because out of the heart, the mouth speaks, the Bible says. And even in his death, as horrific as it was, God showed up. And I believe in a very supernatural way, he allowed Stephen to go through this tragic way of dying horrific way of dying and yet in some way shield him from the horrors of it at the same time and then allowed the way he died and the things that he said while he was dying to maybe reach the person that maybe made more of a difference in the New Testament church than anyone ever did. Don't think about the masses that God may want to use your life to reach. Think about that one person. Because who knows what that one person will do that God used your life to touch. Let's pray. Lord, your presence is strong here tonight. What a tremendous time of worship we had here tonight. And God, I pray that you will use this message tonight from one who is so inadequate to reach into all of our hearts and stir us, reminding us of who you are, And what a difference you can make in our lives if we'll just let you fill us up. God, go with us tonight from this place. May we not be consumed with worldly things but set our minds on the things above. And may we not be so focused on reaching the masses and miss that one person that God may want us to touch or use our lives to reach into that we'll never know the impact that they might make for the kingdom just as Stephen made in Saul's life so encourage us God and I thank you so much for each of these folks that come out in the middle of the week after maybe working all day or just being up all day and and working through a day Lord it certainly would be easy just to go home from work and relax and rest, but God, I pray you would give them an extra special blessing by sort of pushing themselves just a little bit more and being able to come out on a Wednesday night. And God, even now, from now till we meet again on Sunday, would you prepare us for a special time with you as we once again gather to worship you and exalt you in this place. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.